Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Live from Los Angeles, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences presents Oscar. The 66th Annual Academy Awards. Ladies and gentlemen, your host for the 66th Annual Academy Awards, Whoopi Goldberg. There haven't been this many showbiz executives so nervous sweating over one woman since Heidi Flies, honey. Yeah. Previously on Heidi World... 
Heidi Fleiss's trial has captured the world at the moment when television channels like Court TV are creating the 24-hour content cycle with other L.A. trials like the Menendez brothers and O.J. Simpson. But Heidi's crimes are only arguably even crimes in a crooked system that prosecutes sex workers and criminalizes sex work. Welcome to Heidi World. Chapter 8, Heidiware. Heidi pioneers personal branding and cashes in on the scandal with her own line of branded sleepwear, the mid-90s. Welcome back to Heidi World. I'm your host, Molly Lambert. It's 1994. Heidi's estate in the hills above L.A. has sold for just under its $1.8 million listing. Heidi has moved out of the house and is trying to keep her location off the grid to avoid more media attention. The Tower Grove mansion is bought by an Italian named Federico Pignatelli, whose fortune comes from manufacturing laser dental products in San Clemente. Heidi Fleiss is still the subject on everyone's lips. In July of 1994, at long last, Heidi is able to unveil physical prototypes of her new clothing line of sleepwear and casual accessories, Heidiwear. The first ever Heidiwear store opens in Pasadena. A tan and relaxed looking Heidi is there, manning the Heidiwear counter herself and offering to autograph any item in the store, which sells the infamous Heidiwear boxers with the condom pocket as well as t-shirts, leggings, and tank tops, with prices that top out at 30 bucks. It's a branded capsule collection, an ahead-of-its-time notion that will eventually take over sleepwear and streetwear and lead the world to where we have Savage by Fenty, a capsule collection of lingerie sold to me by a famous person. There is also, get this, a hotline you can call to order stuff from Heidiwear. The number is one 800 Heidi PJ. Obviously, I called it to see what happens now, and the answer is... It's a sex party hotline. And because I am a podcast detective, I wondered what happened when you call other old hotlines. So I called the hotline 1877-TAME-HER, which is the hotline that Paul Thomas Anderson made an infomercial for in a stunt to promote Magnolia, which starred Tom Cruise as Frank T.J. Mackey, a seduction artist character. Let's just say that I called this number a lot at that time, and it gave you a pre-recorded message of Tom Cruise as Frank T.J. Mackey, inviting you into the seduce and destroy universe. Well, anyway, guess what happens when you call it now? You get the same sex party line that you get when you call the Heidiwear number. Isn't that beautiful? I also called the JJ the Beeper King hotline and found out you got the same sex party line there, which is very satisfying. It means that there's some company out there who is buying up all the old hotlines for people who don't have the internet that still call sex hotlines, like me. While Heidi is ringing up the boxers at the Heidiware store, She and her father are getting their bells rung over potential tax fraud. 
To get Heidi the loan for the wildly expensive house, Dr. Paul Fleiss had lied and inflated his income. He had also said that he would live on the property when he was really living at a property in Venice. The IRS claims that Paul Fleiss helped his daughter hide assets and inflated his own income when he co-signed the loan, that he listed Heidi as a dependent making $33,000 a year on his 1992 tax return, an income he said he partially furnished. The indictment also claims Heidi had given checks from clients to her father and younger sister Shayna to deposit. For her part, Heidi swears up and down that her parents truly believed that she was working as a realtor and counselor and that they found out what she actually did for a living at the same time the rest of the world did. Now, it's very possible that Dr. Paul Fleiss didn't know how much money his daughter was actually making or what exactly she was doing to make it. So why did he offer to go in with her on the house? Who knows? He loved his daughter and wanted her to have whatever she wanted. A lot of rich parents co-sign loans for their kids, especially to buy property. But still, wouldn't the crazy price tag on the house signal to Paul, who was very smart, that something was up? Shayna Fleiss thinks her parents were in denial. They knew, but they didn't want to know. It was like, we won't ask and you don't have to tell. Shayna Fleiss. If Heidi was telling them she was working as a realtor, maybe they just thought she was getting a really good deal. But the IRS disagreed. In August of 1994, Heidi and her father, Paul Fleiss, plead not guilty to the federal charges of tax evasion and money laundering. It's just weeks before Heidi's other trial for pandering. If anyone should be embarrassed by all this, it should be the government for charging Heidi with a victimless crime and bringing these very peculiar charges against me. I don't know why they're bringing this case. I didn't do anything wrong. Paul Fleiss, pediatrician. I don't think dad knew what he was getting into. Dad probably said, why would anyone loan you this money when I'm a doctor and I couldn't get a loan like that? And it was probably like, just sign the papers and watch me, dad. I'll get the loan. Shayna Fleiss is not doing well herself. She has been told she might be called into the case as well for cashing checks from Heidi. She loves her sister but her sister is also the one who got her in a car wreck that almost killed her and might now drag her into a criminal case. As Heidi becomes one of the most notorious women in the world, her sister Shayna starts dabbling with heroin, first snorting, then smoking it, and finally shooting up. After trying to go cold turkey twice, she goes to a rehab facility. She's working a job at a preschool that her dad helped her get. But emotionally... Shayna is still struggling with the turmoil of her family breaking down so publicly. O.J. Simpson for the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman is set to happen on the same day as Heidi's pandering trial on September 19th at the same place, the downtown Los Angeles criminal courthouse. 
everyone is salivating over what some are calling the tabloid Super Bowl. The courthouse says it's a coincidence. Heidi's August trial was postponed because her lawyer had another trial scheduled. Some think the judges behind the Heidi trial pushed its date to converge with the OJ trial, figuring the OJ trial will take some of the media glare off of Heidi. Local journalists agree that O.J. Simpson is a bigger story because he was a national celebrity to begin with, whereas the Heidi scandal is in many ways a small-town story that has been blown out to huge proportions because of its connection to Hollywood. A guy named Aziz Muhammad selling bootleg The Juices Loose shirts for the O.J. trial outside the courthouse tells a reporter he'd consider making t-shirts for Heidi, too. But Heidi, of course, already has her own line of t-shirts. In September, Heidi goes to court-ordered drug rehab. She's tested positive six times in the last month in violation of the terms of her federal case. Her lawyer argues that the drugs she tested positive for aren't hard drugs. She has a prescription for Valium, but she also tests positive for methamphetamines. Heidi says someone spiked her Coca-Cola with drugs at a birthday party. She's been in federal custody in jail, but she's now moved from the Metropolitan Detention Center to a rehab house in Pasadena called Impact House. The trial is rescheduled to start on November 1st. The LA Times runs a story saying that Heidi Fleiss's celebrity has already peaked, and most people in town have moved on to the OJ case, which is happening two doors down the hall. One person who does show up is Norma Jean Almodovar, a former LAPD officer who became a high-end escort. She's there to promote her new book, From Cop to Call Girl. I'm here to make sure she gets a fair trial. In California, there's a tremendous prejudice against people in the sex industry. Norma Jean Almodovar, sex worker, former cop. On November 11th, a jury is assembled for the pandering and coke possession trial. One prospective juror believes prostitution should be legal. Another thinks the Bible forbids it, which to me says they didn't close read the Bible. The religious potential juror is cut loose. Heidi has a team of lawyers that includes Anthony Brookliar and Donald Marks, who are looking into whether Detective Sammy Lee's sting was conducted illegally. The four girls who are expected to testify against Heidi after being busted in the sting are Kimberly Birch, Peggy Schink, Samantha Burdett, and Brandy McLean. Brandy has still been living with Heidi on and off while working as a clerk at the Heidiware store. On November 15th, the courtroom hears a tape of the sting that reveals what an absolute slapstick fiasco it was. Heidi appears in court in a blue suit with gold buttons, furnished by her new outfitters, Dolce & Gabbana. Her whole family is there, but Heidi can barely face them. One of Heidi's lawyers, Donald Marks, makes an opening argument that the sting was entrapment. He says the cops pursued Heidi and coerced her into committing a criminal act. Heidi's lawyers file a motion with the judge, arguing the case should be dropped because the Johns aren't being prosecuted. November 16th, Heidi wears a black suit with velvet cuffs. Alan Carter and Anthony Brookliar examine Sammy Lee on the stand. Each officer asked the young lady, basically, for $1,500, what would they get? The answers ranged from straight sex to oral sex to what they wouldn't do. Detective Sammy Lee, Beverly Hills Police Department. 
the girls said for that amount of money, you could get oral or straight sex, but no anal sex. Heidi Fleiss didn't ask to be introduced to you, correct? It was your idea. You asked for her telephone number. She didn't offer it, correct? If you don't contact her, she probably never calls you. But you do call, correct? Anthony Brooklier, Heidi Fleiss's defense attorney. On November 17th, Judge Judith L. Champagne rules that it's irrelevant whether the Johns are charged. Later that day, Samantha Burdett takes the stand in a miniskirt. Heidi is wearing a gray pinstripe Dolce & Gabbana suit and appears to be miserable. Burdett tells the story of the night of the bust. She was offered $1,500 to meet some Hawaiian businessmen. She said she'd received anywhere between $1,000 and $10,000 for a job involving, quote, sexual favors. Sammy Lee, undercover, asked for some cocaine and Burdett sold the officers two small bags of coke and received cash for that on top of the $1,500. The men wanted her to do a dance, so she started a strip tease, at which point Sammy Lee burst back into the room to bust her. On November 19th, the case rests. Heidi appears in court in a bone-white miniskirt suit, again by Dolce & Gabbana. In Old Town Pasadena, at the Heidiware store, business is brisk. According to a Heidiware store employee who goes by the nickname Squirrel, Heidiware is, quote, moving like hotcakes. November 20th, the LA Times runs a real estate story about how a Venice condo where Heidi lived after moving out of the Beverly Hills mansion has sold for $300,000. The Venice condo was owned by Paul Fleiss. They run this alongside a story about how the condo in Brentwood, where Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman were murdered, has been put back on the market for $795,000. The four-bedroom condo can also be rented for $5,000 a month. Absolute ghoulish shit, but what else would you expect from the California housing market? November 22nd. The trial resumes with Heidi's team showing the video of the hotel room sting in its entirety, complete with the undercover Asian-American police officers speaking in terrible fake Japanese accents. When Samantha Burdett gets on the bed in her red song lingerie, the smoke alarm goes off in the next room from the cops who are watching the action from a camera feed remotely in the room next door while chain-smoking cigarettes. The video is often accidentally funny, and people start laughing in the courtroom, including Heidi, who is wearing glasses and another suit. After the video, Anthony Brooklier cross-examines Detective Sammy Lee. This whole thing was a setup, correct? Correct. It was all arranged with the people in the next room? Correct. Why did you need to hide a video camera in the bedroom where Burdett disrobed? Anytime you have a vice operation, the videotape is good both as evidence and regarding the conduct of the officer. Of the four girls busted, all of whom flipped for immunity, only two are called to the stand. Brandy McLean is absent, as is Peggy Shank, who has fled with her young kid. Samantha Burdett and Kimberly Birch both testified that they were offered $1,500 each to go out on the job, 
that this was a normal lower end rate for them and that Heidi took her 40% cut. They were shocked when the job turned out to be a setup. Despite everyone in Hollywood freaking out that they'll be named, no names of John's come out in court. Not only are the powerful men who bought sex from Heidi protected from the consequences, they don't even have to suffer the mild embarrassment of being outed as her clients. November 29th, closing arguments. Heidi wears a gray Dolce & Gabbana suit and another pair of glasses. Carter argues against the idea of entrapment, saying it's not entrapment if they would otherwise go about committing this crime. Sure, the cops asked Heidi for girls, but she could have gone off the strange vibe in her gut that she was getting from Sammy Lee and said no. That she readily agreed to procure girls for, quote, Nico Akai, speaks to the fact that this was something she does regularly. He compares Heidi to a luxury car dealer hawking her wares. If Miss Fleiss was on trial for a speeding ticket, the defense would say it's the government's fault because the government built the highway. All Detective Lee did was open up the road. Miss Fleiss sped right down the road. Alan Carter, prosecutor. Anthony Brookliar brings the focus back out to the fact that Heidi is being prosecuted at all when violent crimes constantly go unsolved in the city of Los Angeles. This is hypocrisy at its best. This is so serious, isn't it? How serious does the prosecution or the law really think this is when they never prosecute the male customer? Prostitution is legal in Nevada, just 250 miles away. It's a function of where you live as to whether or not this is illegal. Yes, this is technically a crime. So is spitting on the sidewalk. It's not appropriate for law enforcement to induce the commission of a crime. They're going to make this happen, come what may. Brookliar calls the case an abuse of power by the cops, a show of force for a victimless crime. Maybe not the best use of 20 armed police officers and the L.A. city budget. And he is absolutely right. Alan Carter almost gets it. Recently, there's been a new twist. It's a bad twist. I did it, but it's somebody else's fault. Yeah, I arranged for those women, but it's Detective Lee's fault. If we travel down that road, you all better buckle up and lock up real tight. Now, all of a sudden, the defendant is no longer on trial. It's the police officers who are on trial. Heidi is facing a sentence of 11 years for pandering. The jury is made up of five women and seven men. They go off to deliberate on the last day of November. When Heidi World Returns, How the Jurors Deliberated. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. 
with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Welcome back to Heidi World. December 3rd. One of the jurors is a woman named Sheila Mitrowski, a 48-year-old phone company worker from Bell Gardens. Mitrowski says the jury was evenly split at first on Heidi's guilt. Four of the women and two of the men initially believed Heidi should be acquitted. Nobody on the jury really buys Tony Brookliar's argument about the sting being entrapment. Four days later, the jury comes back with their decision. Heidi is convicted on three counts of pandering. They find her not guilty of supplying the police with cocaine and reached a checkmate on the other two pandering counts. Heidi puts her head on the table as the judge reads the first and second guilty verdicts, then sits back up and slams the table with her fist as the judge reads the third guilty verdict. Her father in the front row of the courtroom, also drops his head and starts weeping. Alan Carter declares the trial a success, a triumph of morality. People who go into the prostitution business are usually pretty sad souls, and they're exploited by panders. Judge Judith L. Champagne sets a sentencing date of January 21st. Jury forewoman Sheila Mitrowski is informed that Heidi could get as many as eight years in jail with a mandatory minimum of three. Oh no, that's way too much. You've got kids out on the streets dealing drugs for crying out loud, and they get probation. Sheila Mitrowski, jury forewoman. So close, Sheila, you're so close. Maria Campos, a 38-year-old hospital receptionist from Northeast L.A., says the jury watched tapes of the sting repeatedly and argued a lot. Juror Nancy Reyes, a 24-year-old secretary from Monterey Park, also seems regretful about the guilty verdict when she learns that Heidi will go to jail. She even calls the cops overbearing. I don't think she should go to jail for it. I just don't think it's fair that she has to do time for something like this. It's upsetting. I mean, hey, she didn't kill anybody. Nancy Reyes. Another juror comments to the press under a promise of anonymity that several jurors did feel that Fleiss had been entrapped by the cops, but chose to bargain with the jurors who could not be convinced rather than come out with a hung jury. 
They didn't realize that if Heidi had been convicted on the coke charge, but not on pandering, she'd have been eligible for probation. Pandering, it turns out, is a much more serious charge, given the nondescriptly elegant name that they use instead of pimping. I heard some of them talking afterward on TV, and I couldn't believe it. They thought they were doing me a favor by convicting me of pandering rather than the drug charge. They thought I'd just get a ticket or something. Heidi Fleiss. Other jurors, like 42-year-old Department of Water and Power worker Daryl Kitagawa, believe firmly that justice was served and that the police did not act inappropriately. After the conviction, Heidi's bail is set at $75,000, which she posts and flees to a condo in Santa Monica. There is no more hoping for a good outcome. Her entire world is shattered. I'm still in shock. Oh, my heart has never beaten so fast. I heard them say guilty on the first count, and then I just couldn't hear anymore. I just went blank. My father was crying. He said to me, be strong and think of something positive that I can't even think. Her mother, Alyssa, gives a comment to the press about how Heidi is being punished too harshly, referencing the Menendez brothers and the cops who beat Rodney King. There's something flawed about people who can't decide about the guilt or innocence of admitted parent killers and people shown on camera smashing the head of someone else and then find Heidi guilty. I just don't believe the good of society has been served by putting Heidi in jail. Alyssa, Heidi's mother. I don't care about anything but what's happening right now. Even if the guys were going down too, that wouldn't help me, would it? The media is disappointed by the lack of big names revealed in the case. No new movie stars were mentioned or even any rich idiots. The only names that ever came out were the ones blurted out to Vanity Fair by Heidi Fleiss herself, which she immediately tried to redact. The newspapers are inundated with letters, people calling for the legalization of sex work, people calling for the LAPD to focus on things like carjacking instead of watching women undress in hotel rooms. Some of the jurors go on Geraldo to talk about the verdict, and Sheila Matrowski realizes when a legal expert explains entrapment, that she did not actually know what entrapment was during the trial. After I flew back home, I was sitting there watching Geraldo on TV. I thought, holy cow, I did that wrong. Matrowski also starts thinking about sex work and that 40% commission she tries to put herself in Heidi Fleiss's black leather boots. To me, there really and truly is that possibility. A lot of people will do a lot of things for that kind of money. I feel very badly. I feel I made a mistake when I found her guilty of those three counts. There's also gossip that Heidi has a new beau, Frank Sinatra's son, Frank Sinatra Jr., I don't know how all this stuff gets started. Heidi Fleiss, I befriended because she and I went through something of the same nature. 
And when word reached the tabloids, bless their little hearts, they decided here was something they could make money with. They even had it in one of the papers last weekend that she and I were going to run off to Vegas and get married. (laughs) That's a lot of horse dump. Do you know what would happen if she left LA right now? They'd lock her up and throw away the key. She knows that, and so do I. Frank Sinatra Jr., singer. December 13th, a ray of hope for Heidi. Five jurors sign a statement saying they discussed the case improperly outside the courtroom and didn't fully understand what they were doing. Anthony Brooklier wants to get Heidi's conviction overturned with this statement. Gil Garcetti says even if the verdict is overturned, Heidi will be prosecuted again. Thanks a lot, Gil. Anthony Brooklier is on the case. There were juror irregularities that occurred during the course of the trial, which deprived our client of a fair trial and a true verdict. Though inadvertent, a real injustice has unfolded. But jurors changing their minds after a case ends isn't enough to overturn it. It's the talking about the case outside the courtroom that was more blatantly against protocol. The jurors who were sympathetic to Heidi like a man named Joseph Lechuga, were concerned a retrial might give Heidi an even worse sentence rather than a lighter one. But Heidi is elated. My future was so bleak. So, so bleak. And now maybe there's another way. God, am I happy. It takes a lot of courage for anybody to come forward and admit they did something wrong. It's a very hard thing to do. 1995. The mid-90s are here, and with them, Heidi's fate. Gil Garcetti is upset about LA's reputation as a place where tawdry scandals involving famous people is all the media cares about. So he invites local public television legend Huel Hauser to the L.A. courthouse to show him what it's really like. Boring. Mostly incredibly boring. The episode airs as part of Huel Hauser's show Visiting on the night before the O.J. Simpson trial begins. December 30th, Heidi turns 29 years old. Happy birthday, Heidi. January 26th, Victoria Sellers catches a felony drug charge for that traffic stop where she asked the cops to fetch her purse and they searched it. She's booked for possession of methamphetamine for sale and also for having the downer diazepam. She is brought to court in Van Nuys and sentenced to 13 days in jail and three years probation. January 31st, Judge Champagne agrees to hear the juror's testimony. February 4th, the jury gets limited immunity from being prosecuted for misconduct. February 24th, with immunity granted, the jurors cop to what is called quote-unquote horse trading, dealing behind closed doors and bargaining on votes. Five of the jurors wrongly thought that the drug charge was a heavier charge than pandering and thought they were helping Heidi get a lighter sentence by voting not guilty on the drug charges. They were wrong, But furthermore, they were clearly all completely confused. Judge Champagne gets mad at jury forewoman Sheila Matrowski for not reporting this to her when it was actually happening. Heidi is at the courthouse watching, wearing a gray turtleneck and a gray skirt suit. It's really hard. Very, very hard. 
March 1st, Bernie Kornfeld dies. He had suffered a stroke in December during a trip to Israel and dies of pneumonia in a London hospital at the age of 66. Kornfeld and Heidi kept in touch long after their breakup, and Heidi regarded him as both a mentor and perhaps her great love. He was a hustler's hustler, which appealed to Heidi's sense for money-making. Although he'd moved to Europe in the late 80s to evade the IRS over a $12 million debt, he was still trying to do crazy deals, like trying to buy MGM Studios in 1992 with $500 million in cash. There is also some evidence that he may have allegedly been a CIA plant, fake rich guy, sort of like Jeffrey Epstein. And I couldn't prove this, obviously, but let's just say the rabbit hole exists. March 25th, Judge Judith L. Champagne rejects the bid for a retrial and sets Heidi sentencing for May. She is dubious about jurors' claims that they swapped votes. It is apparent to the court that with each opportunity to describe their acts of misconduct, these acts of misconduct seem to grow, a little like Pinocchio's nose. Judge Judith L. Champagne. So we got a little comedian on the bench? Sounded like she didn't believe us. But we wouldn't have put ourselves on a limb to make the statements we did if we weren't telling the truth. I feel it's very unfair to Heidi. It's really tough. As desperate as Heidi might be, at least Heidi Ware is doing well. Chrissy Teigen, who followed me for some reason, responded to one of my posts on Twitter announcing this podcast, saying that her mom took her to the Old Town Pasadena Heidi Ware store when she was a kid to get Heidi's autograph, which might make an impression on you about how celebrity works. Heidi Ware is selling like crazy, and Heidi even wants to open a second Heidi Ware store, but her pesky meddling trials keep getting in the way. On May 11th, Paul Fleiss takes a plea bargain after refusing previous offers. He agrees to plead guilty to lesser charges to get his sentence reduced. He wears a gray pinstripe suit in court and has a nervous habit of smiling and tapping his fingers. I was aware that she had a misdemeanor gambling conviction. I was aware that she had income, but I had no special knowledge. With the plea bargain, he is up for only four to ten months in jail, which could conceivably be served at home with an electronic bracelet. In his plea bargain, Paul Fleiss says he was aware that Heidi was working in the sex business. According to the court, Dr. Fleiss admitted that in 1990, he knew Heidi was making money illegally from a bookie business. A third party, possibly his daughter Shayna, told him Heidi was running a call girl ring in 1992 the year he let her deposit $70,000 in two of his bank accounts. I love Heidi. She's my daughter. I love her very much. I'm still quite worried about my daughter. I have my own problems. I have so many problems. This is just another example of Paul's lovingness and his concern for the family. Paul did nothing wrong. He was just doing the expedient thing for the sake of the family. In the plea bargain, Paul Fleiss admits to helping his daughter even when he knew she was running an illegal business. 
He helped her get a car loan to buy her Corvette by taking the loan out in his name and taking cash from Heidi to pay it off. And he also helped her get the million-dollar home loan for the Tower Grove estate by filling out the loan application with falsified information. It's very difficult for a 25-year-old girl to get a loan or insurance on a Corvette. He was doing what a lot of parents with money do for their kids, for better or worse, almost always for worse. And he didn't care about the possible illegality of the money because he's a man of the 70s. You can look at it as he just wanted to help his daughter or that he was spoiling her and enabling her helping her get the material goods that would ensure her downfall. Or both. It's complicated. On May 19th, Heidi's lawyer in the IRS case tries one last time to get the charges dismissed. He argues that they're treating his client like she's Al Capone. It does not work. She's also up for sentencing in the pandering case for somewhere between 18 months and eight years. She is trapped in a reality that is genuinely Kafka-esque. She knows she's being used by the city of L.A., by the cops and the courts and the district attorney, to make it look like they take action on crime. But she's well aware that the seriousness of her crimes pales in comparison to a billion other things. And from her previous experiences with the cops after her friend Wendy Tarr was murdered, she knows that the LAPD don't really do shit, especially for victims of sexual assault. The whole thing is so ridiculous. Especially right now with everything going on in the world, like the prison overcrowding, the bombing in Oklahoma City to spend this much time and money on me, it is crazy. I think I've been punished enough. When Heidi World returns, Heidi faces sentencing and her future. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 
Welcome back to Heidi World. May 25th, Judgment Day. Heidi appears in court wearing a gray miniskirt suit. Judge Judith L. Champagne has weighed the arguments made by Alan Carter for the prosecution and Anthony Brooklier and his team for her defense. We're dealing with someone who preys on the young, the naive. She steers impressionable people in the wrong direction. That kind of conduct needs to be punished. Your Honor, no one was hurt in this case, no one was coerced, and no one operated under duress. All my client did was arrange consensual sex between consenting adults. Judge Champagne sentences Heidi to three years for pandering and fines her $1,500. Heidi shows no emotion in court, numb. It's like sex is the worst crime on earth. It's ridiculous. No one lost money. No one got hurt. This was a highly sophisticated and lucrative criminal enterprise. It cannot be called a victimless crime. It's very degrading and it does take its toll. Alan Carter had asked for four years for Heidi. Judge Champagne opted for three, which is the shortest mandatory sentence for pandering. Heidi's family is horrified seeing this as a miscarriage of justice. Seeing your child locked up is a nightmare. That's what happens when they make laws one size fits all. They indict people where it really isn't appropriate. Heidi thinks Alan Carter is a total hypocrite who infantilizes women for choosing sex work. He said they're stupid and I degraded them? He's the one who's really bashing them? Heidi posts a $200,000 bond and files an appeal. She's allowed out on bail during the appeal, which can take up to a year. May 31st, 1995, Heidi opens a second Heidiware store in Santa Monica on the Third Street Promenade. The first Heidiware store has moved to a prime location in Old Town Pasadena, which is an open-air mall that's like the Grove for people from the past. The best-selling item at both Heidiware stores is the boxer shorts with the condom pocket. June 2nd, the LA Times publishes some letters from people who are angry about the city budget being spent on the Heidi Fleiss trial at a time when hospitals are in danger of closing down due to lack of funds. People write in to support Heidi, saying it's outrageous that she might go to prison while the men who got her in trouble walk away without a scratch. June 9th, the judge in the federal case refuses to drop Heidi's charges. June 30th, the opening day of the federal IRS trial. I'm scared as hell, but I've got to remain optimistic. This time, some of the witnesses called our clients. The first John to take the stand in the federal trial is film and TV producer Howard Schlenker, former owner and stakeholder in sports teams like the Denver Nuggets and the Houston Rockets. He cops to writing five checks for a total of $17,000 to Heidi for sexual services rendered. Manuel Santos, president of Nabisco, Mexico, and real estate developer from Monterey, 
also testifies that he wrote checks totaling $40,000 for prostitutes from Heidi all through 1992. He says on the stand that he often sent his private jet to pick up the Heidi girls and fly them to Mexico. Christina Watkins, an actress from the San Fernando Valley who worked for Heidi, testifies that she had sex with clients in Las Vegas, Paris, and Greece. Two girls confirm that the money was often dispensed in cash envelopes, which they'd bring to Heidi's house where she'd take her 40% cut and give them the rest. Samantha Burdett testifies that her first client wrote her a check for $7,000 for sex. July 11th. I had a good run. Alex Fleming, madam. Madam Alex is laid up at Cedar sinai Hospital in her beloved Beverly Hills. She is only 60 years old, but she is dying. Complications from heart surgery put her on life support. Despite their contentious relationship, Heidi is devastated, as is another one of Alex's longtime frenemies. It's like losing a friend. In all the years we played cat and mouse, she never once tried to corrupt me. Fred Clapp, retired LAPD vice officer. Madam Alex's health, which has been terrible for years, deteriorated further, and she ended up in the hospital on her deathbed. Heidi, who, despite it all, really did care for Madam Alex in some way, went to visit her when she heard that she was dying. When Alex was dying in the hospital, she listed me as a family member. The hospital called me every day at my Heidi Ware store and wanted to know when I was coming by. I stayed with her as much as I could. I went out of my way to make her laugh and feel better, and then something happened that brought back all the terrible things that she had done to me. On my way in, the head nurse in the ICU showed me a list of people who had been there that day. The name Detective Sammy Lee was on the list, and it made me rethink what I was doing there. On the day that Heidi's federal trial begins, Madam Alex dies when her life support is disconnected. Heidi has conflicting feelings about her mentor's death. In her book, Pandering, she writes an open letter about Alex. I always loved and respected her, although at times she made it difficult. I have said things in the past that were unkind, but it was always a reaction to some unbelievable act of betrayal on her part. Time after time, I would call her on the phone and forgive her. I would act like nothing had happened between us. I learned to understand that her extreme verbal abuse, paranoia, and backstabbing was just who she was. I, I think Alex had a bizarre kind of love for me, which justified the terrible things she did to me. We had a close relationship because of our business and complex lifestyles. No other person could relate to the things we dealt with. We spoke on the phone for hours, just hours and hours every day for five years. The only time we would not speak was when Alex would do or say something evil to me and I would have to take a break to deal with my feelings. Heidi then recounts something incredibly anti-Semitic Alex said to her that I do not have to repeat here, but feel free to read the book. She says Alex was a mass of contradictions. She demanded loyalty and silence, but she was a paid police informant who talked about her trade with the tabloids. In court, 
the federal judge orders to the stand Mr. Charlie Sheen. Judy Geller is a USC grad whose father is a prestigious San Francisco lawyer. She was also a Heidi girl who went on 50 plus out calls. She estimates Heidi's take at 60000 a month and testifies that Charlie Sheen was a major customer. She was sent out on calls to Schlenker, Santos, and Sheen. Charlie Sheen is shooting a movie called Shadow Conspiracy in Washington, D.C., and plans to give his deposition on videotape. He is granted immunity for testifying. July 20th. An FBI handwriting expert says Heidi forged her father and sister's signatures on escrow documents and checks from clients. Special Agent William Hellman compared handwriting samples and says that Heidi didn't even attempt to hide her handwriting while forging the checks. July 21st. The checks were for sexual services. Heterosexual services. Charlie Sheen, actor. The jurors watch the Charlie Sheen tape. No, not the sex tape of Charlie Sheen with Heidi Girls that also existed. The deposition he taped while filming on location in D.C. A sweaty, fidgety Sheen sips ice water on screen while he admits to ordering girls from Heidi that he paid for in cash at least 27 times from 1991 to 1993. The seven checks used in court total $50,000. Sheen says he is now engaged to a model named Donna Peel. He claims, under oath, he cannot remember the names of any of the Heidi girls he spent time with, even the ones he repeatedly proposed to. He also says he never gave money to Heidi, just her employees. He puts out a statement. I apologize to my family, my future wife, my close friends, for all embarrassment these incidents may have caused. I offer no other explanation for my actions, only the truth, which is contained in every detail within my testimony. I wouldn't call it the past if it wasn't. Shayna Fleiss is also called to the stand to testify against her sister, but starts weeping. Shayna tries to make eye contact with Heidi, who stares down at her feet and can't look at her sister in the eye. Shayna says she's incapable of testifying against her sister, striking a blow to the prosecution, who were expecting her to be a star witness. Blood is thicker than water. District Judge Consuelo B. Marshall, who is presiding over the federal trial, holds Shayna Fleiss in contempt of court and puts her on house arrest. July 22nd, Heidi's mother, Alyssa Ash, testifies that the Fleiss family is so close, they share money and bank accounts pretty freely, the way people now share Netflix accounts. Sometimes we forget who owes what to whom. The IRS doesn't care. Assistant U.S. Attorney Alejandro Mallorca says Heidi needs to, quote, pull her load, which is an amazing choice of words. Mallorca says Fleiss should work as hard at paying her tax debt to the U.S. government as she did at building her prostitution business. August 11th, 1995, Heidi is convicted in her federal trial on six counts of money laundering, one count of conspiracy, and one count of tax evasion. 
Wearing another tan Dolce & Gabbana suit, Heidi starts weeping when the verdict is announced. Once again, the jury seems unsure of what exactly they're doing. A juror named Diona Watson feels immediate regret, saying that John should have at least been prosecuted too. Jay Leno, who is at the peak of his run of O.J. Simpson material during the other big L.A. trial, makes time for one last joke about Heidi Fleiss, whose truthfulness stings. I think the woman of the point. When a woman is arrested for prostitution, she's jailed. You know what happens to a man? It's re-elected. Okay. September 1st. Heidi is having dinner with friends at the Ivy at the Shore. One of her friends is Dr. Stephen Hofflin, who is Michael Jackson's plastic surgeon. After dinner, they take a walk down the Santa Monica Pier when they hear a loud splash followed by a man screaming for his life in the water. Steve Hofflin jumps in the water and rescues the suicidal drowning man while Heidi runs to call 911 from a payphone. Steve didn't even think twice. He dove in with his wallet and beeper and everything. Heidi runs into the pier's arcade and finds the Harbor Patrol, who take a rescue boat out and are able to save the suicidal man's life. Also in September, Charlie Sheen gets married. He weds Donna Peel in Malibu. At Paul Fleiss's hearing, in a courthouse packed with his friends and supporters, Dr. Paul Fleiss receives word he will get a one-day sentence with probation. Now for yet another crazy story about another crazy guy that will make sense why I'm telling it when I get to the very end. A music executive known as Good Time Charlie Minor is shot to death by a spurned girlfriend at his beach house in Malibu. Charlie Minor is known for hosting all-night parties every Saturday and for his constant revolving door of beautiful young women in bikinis. He's the king of what's called payola, where record companies ply radio programmers with money and sometimes even drugs and call girls if they agree to play certain records on the air. Minor helped promote stars like Janet Jackson and Sting to the top of the charts, but he had fallen in status and was now working for the music payola magazine Hits, where coincidentally I had my first ever internship in the media business. At age 47, Good Time Charlie was allegedly trying to cut back on his hard partying lifestyle. He quit doing drugs and cut down on drinking, but he had one remaining vice, sex. His friends called him a womanizer and a natural promoter who enjoyed his life to the very fullest. And like Heidi and Madame Alex, Charlie Minor was known for his ability to work the phones. Suzette McClure was a 27-year-old exotic dancer who Charlie Minor met at a West Side strip club called Bailey's 2020 Gentlemen's Club when he was there taking out some radio programmers. One night, Suzette McClure showed up at the beach house without calling first and found Minor with another woman. When he said he didn't want to see her again, she shot him in the head nine times. McClure's friends say that she was a smart, sensitive Cal Poly Pomona graduate who became a topless dancer when her aerospace job at the Howard Hughes aircraft plant in Long Beach was downsized by post-Cold War budget cuts. Why am I telling you this story, you might wonder yet again? Because... 
Good Time Charlie Minor allegedly also had Heidi Fleiss's number in his Rolodex. The focus of the Heidi Fleiss investigation was mostly the film industry, but would it be even a little bit surprising if music industry execs were also involved? Anyway, the death had nothing to do with Heidi's operation. It was just connected back to everyone knowing each other. October 1995. BBC producer-director Nick Broomfield's documentary about Heidi, called Heidi Fleiss, Hollywood Madam, airs on Cinemax. Heidi attends the runway shows at California's Fashion Expo to promote Heidi wear in advance of her jail sentence. She sits for a show from a line called MISC, short for miscellaneous, where one of the outfits is modeled by another woman who used the fact that she was once the center of a big scandal in L.A. to forge a career as a sort of professional celebrity and actress, Tracy Lords. Heidi Fleiss is now 30 years old and headed to jail. Even her family can't help her now as she prepares to face her fate. But there remains a lingering sense among the public that justice has not really been served here. The show trial of Heidi Fleiss has backfired on the LAPD when it comes to the court of public opinion, but it has achieved its ultimate goal, to scare and silence sex workers. Next time on Heidi World, Heidi gets out of jail and finds new fame in the burgeoning genre of reality television. Meanwhile, her cousin Mike Fleiss invents and gets rich off creating a new reality show about choosing a beautiful woman out of a lineup of beautiful women called The Bachelor. Girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.